welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Oh, yes. Thank you very much, big boys in the sky. We are back and at it. This is Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons. Um, we've got a lot in store. Barton, how, are, do you, have you shut down all of your burner accounts at this point? Do you have, like, because I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm watching all the NBA drama over these burner Twitter accounts, and all I'm thinking about is how badly I want to see, um, I want to see unmasked all the head coaches' Twitter accounts. I, I think this this Colangelo stuff, and that's obviously what you're referring to, is this you know the what is he the 76ers general manager uh, general manager, um, and his like five burner accounts. But like the fact that he thinks that you know uh, one anonymous Twitter account poking at at reporters here and there and like speaking out into the Twitter sphere can somehow shape the narrative of of the 76ers and their management it is such an amazing representation of like how clueless some of like the older generation is on what this stuff like how this is even used and and how it's even operated like that's insane that's it would not only say it's just it's just stupid it's just like not an intelligent thought process to be like i'm gonna be a troll twitter guy and just and just sort of shape the narrative of, of the 76ers well, through this random troll. Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I would uh, I think that he's alone in this. You know, all right, so we've got a lot to get to to get. Uh, yes, it is going to be uh, a little bit of an SEC-heavy show. Uh, we see you. We hear you. Uh, we do try to make sure that we uh, give our love to everyone, but it's, it's, it's you know, the end of May. Uh, SEC spring meetings in Destin are are sort of dominating whatever space that we have out here in this sports world. And uh, and at the same time, too, we've also got um, some good SEC coaching stuff. There's also uh, great work that is all on right now. Uh, Stephen Godfrey has put out long stories and like, you know, there's a quote in there about coaches putting their name uh, and just searching their name on Twitter. Some thin-skinned people out here, I think, really, really are investing in uh, both the power of and how much meaning should be put into this. You're, you're right; it's probably a generational thing, but uh, but man, this it, what a time to be alive, right? Right? They, they they watch; they all watch it, and they all pay attention so much more than they'll ever admit. Yeah. So it, on that note, uh, we've actually got some fun with burner, uh, burner accounts made me think about this. Hugh Freeze uh, recently, again, Stephen Godfrey's got a video series. He's got a story, Crooked Letters. It's very good. I'm kind of like three-fourths of the way through it right now. Um, we have anonymous quotes about some SEC coaches. We will get to that in a little bit, but we begin with a little bit of news since the last time that we recorded a podcast. Hunter Johnson's leaving Clemson. Uh, that leaves Clemson... Basically, now you got Kelly Bryant, who's been there, who's played in a college football playoff game, and you got Trevor Lawrence, who Barton, you know, you have done a lot to, to help us get to know him before he's even played a college snap. Hunter Johnson's exit, not a huge surprise, right? Well, no, it's not, and I, it validates everything the casual fan saw when watching the Clemson spring game, which was, all right, the best quarterback on the roster is Trevor Lawrence, and that's obvious, um, but okay, whatever. Maybe this is just one spring game. Hey, you can't read too much into it. Who knows what they look like the rest of practice? But the fact that Hunter Johnson is now bouncing out of town is the is the biggest um, uh, affirmation of of what Trevor Lawrence is that that we've had yet. Um, forget like like forget. The All-American game forgets his senior season, forgets um, preseason, like spring practice to date. Like the fact that Hunter Johnson is saying, peace out, I'm, I'm gone, tells you everything you need to know because he's watched him throw side by side. He's watched how the coaches have responded to him, and he understands the the trajectory this thing's going. So, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's telling, and it sparked, uh, you know, I wrote a story on just sort of the the transfer culture, five of the last eight, five stars have transferred. And uh, I sort of went on this 
crusade, radio <laughs> crusade about. Uh, we talked about it last time. We were a little bit the compete, the compete issue. Uh, the compete cowboys. Compete cowboys out there. Yeah. Uh, this is this is this is the new the new normal because coaches are playing kids earlier than ever, and guys are coming in ready to compete more than ever, and they're beating out upperclassmen, and five stars are beating out five stars, and so the kid that just lost is going to get his rep somewhere else, and he's going to get those, and so yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, I think it's a really cool era in college football that we get to see these guys go perform somewhere instead of just rotting away on the bench. Is there another position on the football field that comes to mind for you um, that that is obviously quarterback is unlike any other position on the field, but is, is there another position where we can see uh, players that are rated or ranked this highly coming out of high school also uh, looking to, to play elsewhere? Uh, do you have a position in mind? No, I don't because I don't, I don't at all. And that's, yeah, like, I mean, what's, I think that's very the unique. thing like that. That's what's so unique about the quarterback position is there's not a, there's not a third down quarterback. There's not a nickel or a dime quarterback. There's not a, uh, you're not ready to play quarterback. We'll move to inside quarterback or outside quarterback. And then you grow into the middle quarterback position or whatever. Like it's, it's, it's one, you're either playing or you're not. Right. There's not a sub package for quarterbacks. Right. There's not a there's not a I'm a rotational guy as a freshman and by junior year I'm starting, but I've already played you're either starting or you're not. And so I think that's what's so unique about the position, and that's why you have to treat it differently. You have to treat the decision to transfer differently. You have to be more forgiving of it. And um I think that's that that's that's a driver in in this movement right now, is these guys are recognizing their value when they want to get out there and play and, and uh, more power to them. Yeah, you made a great point to sort of combat on your crusade, as you said, to combat the idea that this is an epidemic. And uh, I spent some time also covering college basketball, and that's another place where you're hearing the word transfer or the phrase transfer epidemic thrown around. But to me, because of uh, the quarterback position being so unique, it's so different than being one of five starting players on a basketball court, and why I think that we haven't seen it as much when it comes to uh, wide receivers or offensive linemen or anything else like that. Like this is th- this is not part of uh, the poster of transfer reform should not be the quarterback position because these players are, are not going to be afforded the same sort of opportunities that most of the other player, most of the other student athletes are uh, in other sports and certainly at other positions, even within football. Oh, is there, I mean, truly, I, there's not another position on the field to where if one guy is better than you, you're screwed. Like if one safety is better than you go beat out the other safety or go play or be the dime safety or whatever. If one, Offensive tackle is better than you. Go beat out the right tackle or move into the guard. You know, if, if one D tackle is better than you, be the second line of D tackles that go in to to reserve to 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 give a blow to the first line. Like you can play everywhere, everywhere on the field you can play except for quarterback. So yeah, you, you, yeah, you're not going to see. And hey, like if 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 the epidemic in college football or whatever you want to call it grows and there be you know there gets to be a free agency in college football, you're not going to hear me crying about that. Let them go. Let's all. Hey, that's that's adds a new fun off season element to it. You know? Hey, that, <laughs> that'll that'll keep us in the news uh, twelve months a year. Uh, speaking of uh, keeping us in the news, here is Kirby Smart from the SEC spring meetings in Destin talking about it being harder to hold on to quarterback depth. You can see what we're going through now, and what a lot of people are going through. It's the same thing because these young high school quarterbacks, a lot of them are doing the same thing in high school. They're positioning from eighth grade to ninth grade. Where can I be the quarterback in the ninth grade at this high school program? And when they just go shopping and searching, they find a place they can go. And a lot of them start for three and four years where it used to didn't be that way. So now it's kind of trickling up to us. So you're sitting there with kids saying, all right, I'm, I'm going to go there, I'm going to go there. You don't see the guy that I mean, I use Hudson Mason as an example. I mean, he he was a guy that kept getting better, kept getting better, and grew his support. Just not a lot of that. But I would argue that if you're a, a parent of a quarterback, that you would say, you know what? Where's my son going to get the best development? Like, where's he going to get the best reps, learn to play a quarterback position like it is in the NFL? Not necessarily play first, but where's he going to learn how to play the position? 
and sit in a meeting room where they teach you protections and the things you got to learn to play at the next level because they don't draft you at the next level just based on your play performance. They want to see what system you played in. How did you play? Did you grow as a quarterback? Have you learned? And uh, it's tough. It's tough keeping them around because they all are used to going where they can play. Kirby. We got a counterpoint. Yeah. Well, first of all, yep. shout out Hudson Mason. Always. You know, he doesn't get his name right. called a lot, so – Shout out, shout out to you. Uh, so give me your counterpoint. Uh, my counterpoint is the NFL is going to draft you on ability and they're going to decide that you that they can coach you up. And, and drafting is everything. That's the point of entry. Get it, getting drafted in the first round, that, that ensures that you've got, what, three years in the NFL at least? Yeah. Um, you know, that that's... So, so put yourself in a position to be drafted. And yes, if you can get that and be developed in a pro-style system, that's great. But you know who's – the guys that have been drafted lately are high, among others, are Pat Mahomes spread, Jared Goff spread, Deshaun Watson spread, Mitch Trubisky spread. What, like, did, what did Baker Mayfield do? Baker Mayfield was that good old pro-style stuff, right? You know, just lining up under center, that's right? right? That's right. <laughs> the number yeah, one and, pick in the NFL draft? And and with the exception of Mitch Trubisky, a common a commonality through all those guys is that they just they just played a bunch of snaps and put up a ton of yardage, and and yes they did develop, but they also developed in like organically through playing, not through sitting, and so I I, I get the point, and I'm certainly Kirby is is. Um, positioning himself well because they do are a pro style system and they're they're going to teach them projections and all that stuff and that's great, but I think from from my perspective, the most important thing is pl- is playing the position, and I think I can't remember if I've talked about this with 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 us, but I think a, one of the examples I point to is Max Brown at at USC who waits his turn, is one of the leaders of the team, one of their hardest workers in the weight room gets his opportunity gets thrown into the fire against Alabama gets swallowed up whole in his final opportunity to start Sam Darnold takes over and that's the end of Max Brown's career he grad transferred to Pitt six games in he's injured that's it and maybe Max Brown sucked but maybe Max Brown if he's starting as a redshirt freshman somewhere and developing in a hey maybe a spread all of a sudden, then he's he's growing, he's developing, he's facing live bullets, he's getting better, he's throwing for a ton of yardage, and he has the size, he has the arm strength. If Max Brown had gone to SMU, if he had transferred out of of, of um, USC year two because he's frustrated for not playing, and he goes to SMU and throws for three thousand yards a year, I I bet you five hundred bucks that guy is drafted in. You know, maybe the sixth round. I don't know, but I'll bet you he gets drafted. Mm. Uh, what do you? I thought it was really interesting, and I did not know, and I don't. I don't think I would have a way to know um, his comments about even back to eighth grade. These guys are jumping around because we've certainly seen it. Uh, I think Lamar Jackson played at a couple different schools, and particularly in these uh, you know talent rich areas. We've seen Florida, California, you know, I've, it is not uncommon for me to look at a player's bio and seeing that they've switched schools a couple times, but he, he seemed to be passing the responsibility on along to the players and the families, uh, about that starting even earlier. Do you make anything of that? Well, there's nothing like a quarterback dad, uh, like I'll tell you the only thing, the only thing worse than a quarterback dad is a kicker dad. And they are, yeah, I mean, they're helicopter all the way, and they're, they are absolutely managing the situation and, and keeping an eye on things and, and jump. Like, I'm, I'm curious if the new, if like the quarterback dad is a new thing or if it's always been there. I would guess it's probably always been there. I mean, Todd Maranovich had the ultimate quarterback dad. Uh, I, I guess. So, yeah, that, I think that's going on. I mean, I think there's a little bit of an in, increased transfer culture in high school. And I'm, you know, as much as I'm pro-transfer in college or pro the opportunity to do that, I'm pretty anti-transfer in high school because I feel like that's about your community and your boys and um, and and just sort of that camaraderie and, and, and team building. But so, yeah, I mean, I think it happens. And, 
I'd never thought of it from a trickle up standpoint, but that that makes some sense. And yet, as as it relates to college, again, I'm not. I don't have a problem with it. Well, yeah. There's also the issue of uh, compensation and your value to the product too. Right. Which right. is small small part of this. Um, all right. Moving on to. Uh, LSU, because this is another quarterback transfer situation. Of course, they get the commitment of Ohio's former Ohio State quarterback Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, from reports, visited or planned to visit LSU and Cincinnati. You and I had an interesting discussion where it almost felt like we were leaning Cincinnati in what maybe our advice would be. I didn't have a good read on the situation myself. Um, I. I guess that it wasn't hard for me to consider his decision to announce for LSU a surprise. I would say that I I looked at the uh, report. I guess it was like a Friday night news breaking thing. I was not working, but uh, I saw the news and I thought, well, good luck. <laughs> like, like, I mean, what's what is the what what should we make for realistic expectations for? Uh, the impact of Joe Burrow on LSU. Well, I tweeted when that news broke, like everyone, and I think you and I, Chip, have both been a little bit leaning this way. Uh, we'll put our final answers into the, the, the picks pod when we do our win total over-unders, but everyone that's put their money on LSU under 7.5 needs to be nervous right now. And, you know, I got the you know, the expected couple responses here and there of like, you know, oh, now now Joe Burrow's the savior? Like, you know, heard that before or whatever. And I don't know, like my, my point is Joe Burrow doesn't give them an opportunity to win a national title all of a sudden. But if you're going from a potential six and six or seven and five team, I think he moves them more into the eight and four, nine and three range. I mean, I think he's, I think there's a clear shift and what you can expect out of LSU with Joe Burrow than, than without him. Because I do think he's a really good quarterback. And I think he's made this decision. Shay Dixon told me, our, our LSU guy at 24-7, he told me that LSU had prepared a one-hour presentation on the offensive system with him and sort of how he fits in. And, and he and his dad, when he and his dad came down to visit, and that that meeting extended to like four or five hours they're treating uh, this boy like lebron james yeah but but i but his dad's a, his dad is a uh, is a defensive coordinator for the university of ohio that's Joe Burrow is a, he's a football guy I, I think my point in that is they're they know what they're walking into there this was an informed educated decision joe burrow is a competitive talented kid and i don't think i mean even and i i've i've been i i was a danny etling believer and defender and yet when Danny Etling and I always said he, he was a clear upgrade from Brandon Harris and he was not the reason LSU struggled and yet when when Danny Etling's first Alabama game he was wide-eyed and and lost he looked he was a fish out of water he wasn't ready for that he went about that life and I think Joe Burrow I, I don't think you have to worry about that with Joe Burrow I think when the when the when the spotlight is big and and he's getting his opportunity, he just I think he's got some grit to him where he'll be okay. So, so I think I think LSU is 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 clearly better under Joe Burrow, and yet still not I don't think an SEC title contender. No, I I think that'd be uh, a tough stretch to make because when you're playing in the SEC West, there's a certain level of like uh, that you're not you might jump up out of nowhere and beat somebody you shouldn't. But over the course of the entire season, it, it needs to be, you know, we, we need to have seen something for the previous year for me to have any confidence that all of a sudden everything's going to come together. And, and I, I, I'll see seven and a half where we're at right now. It was where it was at. Before, I don't know if it's moved, but before that new, when that news was announced, I, I looked it up and it was at seven and a half at that point. Mm. Yeah. I don't know what to do with, uh, I don't know what to do with LSU. Uh, I think that it's interesting when you've got uh, Joe Burrow, and this is a point that, that you've you've made before on this podcast too. That you you certainly change the general outlook for LSU's line that they've been feeding uh, anyone who would listen. That the the wide receiver talent is through the roof. 
You know, because uh, would you right. would you say there's an argument? I think, I mean, I think Alabama's wide receiver room is ridiculous uh, going into next season. But while LSU is not on that tier, I don't know if there is another group of wide receivers in the SEC West right now that I would for sure put above LSU's besides LSU, Alabama. LSU seems to have more confidence in their wide receivers internally than I think is perceived externally. Like I don't even though I'm familiar with all these guys, even from high school, and I, 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 I grant that this is a really talented room, I don't necessarily look at this group and, and, and I'm like, this is, you know, this is Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham. Like, I, maybe it is, but, but I don't see this, oh, 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 well, look out. Now, like, now they got a guy that can just throw it down. Like, it's not Oklahoma State from last year, I don't think. Um, so, so I, I, I'll be, it's, but, but I do, again, I, I admit this is a really talented group, it's, but I think it's unproven and I don't know they've ever had the capability to, to deliver it on the outside the way they need to, to, to showcase those guys. And maybe, maybe I mean, they, they've got a lot of off season promises they got to fulfill now. It's almost like put up or shut up now. Like they've been, they've been talking about how good these wide receivers are. If they just had a quarterback to get it to them. All right. Well now. You allegedly have this quarterback. Let's see if all that talk is is legit. Well, you know, uh, did you see the SEC on CBS TV schedule? We get LSU at Auburn. Think, of, yeah. look, look at that. Like that's that's week three, I think. Um, LSU at Auburn. Like that's the that that's the the one without that Auburn win last season is like. A complete disappointment. Um, now, now think about how much is going to be packed into that game and how early that's going to be, and what are like for for the rest of the season. Sort of in in a put up or shut up type year, uh, it's going to hinge on what happens September fifteenth at Jordan Hare Stadium. Well, not only that, but when you look at both of those teams that weekend, they'll. I think there's a real possibility at least one of them has one loss on the schedule or on the record. Uh, I mean, Washington for Auburn. Auburn's opening with Washington, and LSU's opening with Miami. And LSU's under, right now they're an underdog in that game. I'd take Miami. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's so. If you think of it, like, I mean, what if what if Ed Ogeron year two starts, starts one out and one two. and two? I mean, for <laughs> uh, either you know, one of these guys, why is every LSU Auburn game? Uh, with the one coach, one two two men enter, only one will leave. Right, right. No, it's gonna be, it'll yeah, it'll be another. Gus will have another exciting year of of flip flopping between hated and loved in at Auburn, but that and that's it's gonna it's gonna hinge on that game because look the the flip side there is what if Gus Malzahn comes out and beats Washington week one, beats LSU week three. I don't even know who they have week two, but. I assume it's a winnable game, and and then you're looking at a three and zero with those two wins, and all of a sudden, like, all right, Auburn's wins the Iron Bowl. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) It'll be September sixteenth, and we're going to start previewing the Iron Bowl. But one thing I think that's funny, and I wanted to touch on this, is is so I'm doing a story uh, maybe next week or so uh, for CBS on ranking the quarterback rooms, which is different than ranking the starting quarterbacks or ranking quarterbacks in college football, but ranking like the the full like the, the entire position group in terms of what's your future at the position look like, how deep are you if, if the third string guy has to play this year, is he you know, is he is he capable? You know, if is if next year once someone graduates or goes to the NFL, are you still gonna be able to bounce back? Whatever, that kind of stuff. And I got LSU like penciled in. This is very rough. I haven't really dug into it as much as just sort of making a rough outline. But right now I have LSU penciled in at 50th before the Burrow transfer. And with the Burrow transfer, I think you can make a case. And granted, this is someone that's very has a very positive perception of what Joe Burrow can be. But I think you can make a case that the LSU's quarterback room is a top 10 room because if Joe Burrow is your starter and is a good quality starter, then 
all of a sudden now you got a young Miles Brennan behind him that's a very capable backup. You have a Loel Narcisse who is an extremely talented but raw passer who is can be this maybe packaged wildcat quarterback, uh, change of pace guy, both of whom are young and have a chance to develop long term and just aren't ready yet. Uh, and then you have Justin McMillan in there too. So you, so you just have a this this you know they're all ca- capable, but uh, but they just needed someone to be run point. And now they got Joe Burrow and 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 the team I have tenth in this in this rough draft is. Ohio State, who's got a limited depth chart. Matthew Baldwin coming in as a true freshman, who's Tate Martell and Dwayne Haskins. I think you can make an argument that Joe Burrow pushes LSU above Ohio State because Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow were sort of basically splitting hairs. And then I think LSU's depth behind Burrow is more prepared than just than just Tate Martell by his lonesome. I I just I'm I'm Still, well, number one, I've got to obviously uh, approach this with a lot of caution, knowing that you bought up all of the Joe Burrow stock. So you're just juicing <laughs> the price on this one. You're just right. trying to cash in. <laughs> like, you guys, the addition of Burrow, top 10. <laughs> I'm approaching it. I'm glad that you admitted a little bit of it, but right. like, right. it's. Yeah, I, I, before I'm willing to throw LSU top 10 and quarterback in the same sentence, I'm going to have to see it. You know, right. I just oh, no, and that's and there's the curse. He's got to he's got to defeat this curse. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's that's yeah the the black magic that's over Brat Baton Rouge. We're not we haven't even like factored that into the equation, um, but just on face value, I I think you know I just kept on looking at 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 quarterback rooms and I'd be like, well, eh, he's probably better than them, probably better. You know, it just keeps on, and I just I think you can make an argument. I think you make an argument, top ten. That's uh, that's also an interesting part of the you know we only see this or we have only seen this recently at a Georgia, at an Alabama, at an Ohio State, at you know one of these super super elite programs where losing a quarterback, that quarterback that you send to another program does increase you know the that program standing in terms of quarterback depth by as many as 20 or 30 spots in similar rankings just because almost any one of the quarterbacks in the quarterback room at those kind of programs have that kind of cachet to them yeah yeah i mean it's a it's it's a and and, and i think that those when you look at like i think before the hunter johnson transfer uh Clemson was clearly my number one quarterback room um, to to me, and yet after the Hunter Johnson transfer, I think it's like I think depth at quarterback is pretty important, and and so when you lose a guy like that, I mean, look, Georgia is, it, I mean, Georgia's two injuries away from being in in, in trouble. Yeah, you know? I mean that's that sounds like. Armageddon and you know it probably doesn't happen but it's not that far-fetched to think that they have to lean on the third string quarterback uh, for a half a game a couple series in an important you know critical moment in the game I don't know but depth matters do you know what Kirby said at uh spring meetings he's already putting together his wildcat package (laughs) he better have it I don't know who's gonna be Terry Godwin or somebody back there I guess just one of the running backs. Um, yeah, yeah. He DeAndre Swift, to. baby. DeAndre Swift. Yeah. Just, uh, just, just let, just let him and Holyfield run uh, read option with each other. Yeah. Keep. Uh, yeah. Let let um, you know, Harrion or or Holyfield or one of those other guys, and then let you know let DeAndre Swift be the jet sweep guy, and and you know then you have a jump pass to. One of those huge tight ends. They, yeah, they, 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 there's plenty of options. There. Is Blazevich still there? Uh, I, think I don't he's, know. I think he's finally, finally. This, the seventh-year senior has concluded his eligibility. Uh, Georgia. We mentioned the SEC on CBS initial schedule being released. Georgia at South Carolina, September eighth. Uh, also on there. And number one, who do you think starts at quarterback for Georgia in that game? And number two, who do you think wins that game? Right here on May thirtieth. Uh, I think I think Jake Fromm is the starter. And I think Georgia probably wins it. But I think what's interesting about that game is I think we find out – what did you say it was? Week three? Week, week two, two, September 8th. 
if we find out week two who's, who's the SEC East champion. You know, I don't think I, – if Georgia beats South Carolina, I, I think they got the horses to, to roll through the East. And they got Auburn and LSU in the West, but they're not losing to both of those. Um, so I think I think Georgia's our champion. If, if they and if and if South Carolina wins, they got a manageable West with with A and M and Ole Miss, and I think that they're good enough to to take care of business the rest of the way if they're good enough to beat Georgia. I think I think it's I think to me it's Georgia and South Carolina are the two best teams in the East, and so. That's just a fascinating early season matchup with a lot of implications. I know Georgia will probably be favored, but it's a, it'll be. I think that'll be a really competitive game. It's like a flashback to what 2010, 2011. Felt like we had always had these like super super important Georgia South Carolina games right there in the first one or two weeks of the season, two or three weeks of the season even. Yeah, yeah. Ball coach, uh, ball coach at his peak. Um, ball. Speaking of uh, the head ball coach, he. Uh, he famously called SEC media days and, and all the all the things associated with uh, talking season. Um, anonymous coach comment season is also pretty awesome. So Barton, <laughs> how you you plucked out some uh, some SEC some some good SEC anonymous coach comments. Do you want to read the comments and then we can react to them? Do you want to split them up? Go back and yeah, forth. I'll I'll read them and then and then you can react to them and then I'll I'll, I'll piggyback you. So this okay. these are from these are from at the Athlon uh, preview magazines. Um, so credit Mitch Light and Braden Gall and those guys that did a great job of getting these together. I think they're interesting just because it's fun to get coaches with anonymous candid opinions. Um, so we'll start with I'll start with Florida. Um, these are these are snippets of longer quotes, but with Florida, one of the things that jumped out to me was this quote: "I don't know if Felipe Franks is exactly what Dan Mullen wants at the quarterback position at Florida, but I think Franks is a pretty talented dude, big athletic guy who can make plays with his feet and his arm. He needs to continue to develop the finer points of being an upper level quarterback." But I'm sure Dan will do a good job with them. Reaction. I think that this goes in line with what uh, I've heard from a lot of people and what I predict will I will continue to hear when Felipe Franks becomes a first-round NFL draft pick, which is <laughs> that he's just a good quarterback. It's just... Never could quite figure out how to put it together. You know, no one. It's it's like the the discussion around Felipe Franks is always about how he's not be, being used correctly, or how it's like, yeah, there's something there. It just hasn't quite clicked yet. I'm going to predict that that continues to be the discussion. Uh, as once again, he, I believe that he will be a first round NFL draft pick because of coaches like this. Is is that is is that legit? Like, do you actually believe that? Or are you, is that like jokingly like, oh, the NFL always does things like this, draft a guy like Felipe Franks? Like, do you really believe he'll ultimately be drafted in the first round? No, but I think he'll be drafted higher than his college success would suggest uh, in a way like a Christian Ponder, EJ Manuel, because people respect uh, Jimbo Fisher's opinion. At some yeah. point, Felipe Franks has checked all the boxes for the quarterback guys, however you want to take that. And has a has has like has an unbroken shield around him because of a belief that he's a he's a good quarterback. He's just real close. Well, yeah. So yeah, part of the reason this quote jumped out to me is is there is I've actually been pounding the drum that Felipe Franks will take a step forward this year and be a very competent SEC quarterback. And there there is this particularly amongst Florida fans, probably because they're so close to it and they've seen. They've seen all the all the nasty, yucky play at quarterback there under him, but that there's this narrative that Felipe Franks is just this awful quarterback. Yeah. Like like unsalvageable. And again, I, I think I, I just believe Felipe Franks was always gonna take a few years. He he came in raw. He was always gonna have to develop and he's gotta you know the Steve Clarkson quarterback retreat was last weekend and Felipe Franks won the long ball toss with like a 78 yard throw or something crazy. I mean, he is big. He is athletic. That's what I'm saying. Big, big arm. Like this is like, we'll I'll be sitting there on Thursday and they're going to be showing his like 65 yard bomb to Tyree Cleveland. I mean, look at this guy's arm strength. Yeah. You can't pass this up. But, but so that's, 
yeah, like to me, that validates that a little bit to see that other SEC coaches are out there saying, man, this kid's not that bad. Like we got to, we, you know, we got to prepare for him. And um, so I thought that was interesting. I think, you know, I, I think I'm going to continue to, 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 jo- uh, to join in the coaches hill. and other football people that are believing in Felipe Franks. Do what? For the record, I, I am not, uh, I'm, I'm not in, in the camp that believes that Felipe Franks is trash. I just think it's funny when these players sort of come along and they just get that, that shine, you know, like somebody, the, all of the right people, or at least some of the right people believe that there's something there that hasn't been shown. Right. Well, Hey man, Felipe Franks, I mean, he's got that Hackenberg ishness to him in terms of when he walks into a camp with shorts and a t-shirt on, he looks unbelievable. I mean, he looks unbelievable and he's going to throw some footballs that are just like otherworldly. But hey, man, he's, he's, it's, it's going to take some time with him, and I think Dan Mullen helps him take the next step. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the next one. All right. Uh, I'll, go with, I'll go with Ole Miss next. All right. Quote, I don't care what anyone says or how they try to spin it there. This is a dead program walking, at least for a couple of years. They lost an elite quarterback and receiver because they didn't want to hang around for the NCAA fallout, and they're still dealing with that on the road in recruiting. Hey, there's no honor in thieves in recruiting. The one place where you're really going to see NCAA stuff impact this program is depth. I know people always laugh when we talk about depth, but in this league, you're in deep trouble without it. They're just not as deep on the line of scrimmage as they need to be. Uh, in quotes. Um, continued negative recruiting. <laughs> you know, like yeah. dudes, yeah. dude obviously doesn't play. Is does not coach for Ole Miss and uh, was more than happy to just to just drag them, you know? Right. Um, and, you but, know. but so, so here's my question to you then, Chip. There's, there is a little bit of a underlying buzz that Ole Miss is going to be a team you don't want to play this year. They got Jordan Tamu, they got A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf, and their offense is going to be really good, and, uh, man, they could beat anybody. They may not have a you know ten win season, but anyone is fair game for the squad. Are you buying that, or are you buying this anonymous quote that's basically saying forget about Ole Miss for two years? I'm buying the anonymous quote. Yeah, I think I am too. And I think the big thing that 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 convinces me is, man, they, I, I mean they weren't they haven't been good on defense for a couple years, and I think this is going to be like i think the depth issue that he brings up is going to manifest itself on the defensive front more so than anywhere else and i think that's going to be a problem in the sec i think that ole miss will be able to get its uh moral victory i hate moral victories it will be able to get its feel-good moments of the season in the non-conference schedule and that's probably going to be it. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think they're going to be a trash football team. I'm not ready to bury them. I'm not ready to say, like, this is going to be terrible. Uh, but I, I think that they're going to have better talent and athleticism than their non-conference, most of their non-conference opponents. And I think that they're going to have a lot of disadvantages in all eight SEC games. And so, uh, yeah, they, you know, they they might get somebody. I don't think that they're going to win three or... F- I definitely don't think they're going to win four SEC games. I'm pretty sure they're not going to win three. And even... like, Let's say it's a two SEC win season for Ole Miss. Um, who's the, they, what we say? They're, they're, they play South Carolina, and I think they always play Vanderbilt. Uh, so let's say they get Vanderbilt. Let's say they get Vanderbilt, Mississippi State. To finish six and six in the Egg Bowl, Egg Bowl's always weird, you know. Right. Like I could, you could see that you could see a scenario where they get Vanderbilt and anyone else in the in the West, even including Arkansas. Maybe they get Vanderbilt and Arkansas, and then they and then they you know give LSU or Mississippi State or or someone else a scare. Then all of a sudden you're looking at the season and and, and hey maybe they finish five wins. 
with a, a scare and a couple good SEC wins where they look sharp. I mean, that's is that that doesn't sound that sounds pretty reasonable to me. That doesn't sound that doesn't sound like a bottom and, feeder that you're just like kicking kicking around. How about this? Well, it's, it sounds reasonable, but it also I think it also is consistent with this guy. What this guy thinks is like I don't. They're not going. I don't think they're going to be a uh, a a contending team that's going to that's going to be anyone's going to circle on their schedule and say that's going to be a tough one. Right. Oh no no no! I was I was going to throw back to you. Do you think they could beat Texas Tech week one? Wow, I mean that's going to be. I didn't even realize that as they played week one. That's, that's a, a wide open awesome, game. What an <laughs> awesome! Like I can't, I can't imagine a better matchup than those two. I mean that's just going to be wide open. Do you, have you seen a spread for that? Have you seen a total? Do they post totals this early? No, they don't post totals this early. Um, oh god, that's going to be amazing. I, yeah, they, I mean, that could, they could win that. I think they could win that. That's what I was going to say. I. As soon as uh, as soon as I'm out here talking reckless about how I think they're going to have more talent and athleticism than their non-conference opponents, I quickly raced to their schedule to make sure that I wasn't talking out of my ass. Be like, oh look, they're playing Ohio State. Um, but yeah, they they got Texas Tech week one, Southern Illinois week two, Kent State week four, ULM week six. Yeah, so they'll they'll win three of those, three to four of those. Yeah, and and. They, uh, I bet they can get two more wins in the SEC. So that's that's uh, I feel like that's that's consistent with what our boy thinks. Um, uh, they'll be a six-win team for three years probably. And that's, I mean, that like, I think I think that's uh, that's, that's not where Ole Miss wants to be, but it's sort of back where you like, it's not far from where we're used to seeing. Yeah, I mean, like at least it's not just like zero and eight, zero and eight, zero and eight, zero and eight. You know. Yeah, this is still going to be a team that can get two SEC wins a year, even yeah. at the at the pits. Yeah, that was, I, I tell you, a big get for them was getting Matt Corral at quarterback in that last quarterback cycle because Jordan Thomas is going to be going to be good this year, but they got they got nothing behind him until Corral came through, and now now you can you can conceive of some continuity within the offense year over year and they won't be as talented but but they'll have a chance so um so yeah anyways all right i mean and there's so many wide receivers out there someone will be able to you know uh yeah you can find you can find some dudes yeah Uh, all right give me another one all right let's go uh let's go to tennessee uh quote there are some really good quarterbacks in this league, and not many were more highly ranked than Jarek Guarantano, but he sure didn't play very well last year when he got a chance. He holds on the ball too long. He takes some unnecessary hits. He has to step his game up. People thought he would step in and be like Joshua Dobbs, but Dobbs is a better thrower than people thought, and he had and he made plays with his feet. Guarantano, I don't think, is a dual threat, pe- dual threat like people think. He has a good live arm but he's not a dynamic spread offense runner. To be fair, I don't know that he's surrounded by a lot of weapons on the perimeter. End quote. Thoughts? I think that that is uh, not speaking very highly of Marquez Calloway. Jawan Jennings is likely going to be there too. I I think there's a general... I, I mean, like, if you want to say, especially, like, with everything that Alvin Kamara has become, he's a, he's a little bit become uh, the the poster for the argument that there was all this talent there that was either mishandled, misused, or uh, not appropriately capitalized on by Butch Jones and his staff during their tenure. But, uh, I yeah, I, I kind of think that there... I don't think Jared Guar- Guarantano was that good, I agree. I disagree that he didn't have a lot to work with. John Kelly's great. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I also think though, like that's an, I, I think that's an interesting take because, to me, the general perception of Jared Guarantano was, a uh, true freshman, not a bad showing for his first, you know, getting thrown into the fire mid midway through the season, and without a without a great offensive line in front of him and, um. So, I, 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 I was not super optimistic. I, I, I was lower on Guarantano than most with him, with him coming with coming out of high school, and yet I thought his freshman campaign wasn't like a disaster. I thought it was 
something to build off of. But I don't know. This this 61.9% percent passing, four touchdowns, two interceptions, seven point two yards per attempt, and about fifteen point four attempts per game. He didn't have from a passing perspective, not a ton was put on his plate. So you're right in that there's definitely building blocks, but I I'm not ready uh to start putting the blame elsewhere. I wait, did Jared Guarantano look good in shorts and a t shirt too? Yes. Yeah. He does. Some t-shirt, yeah. t-shirt all-stars. That's right. SSE East is full of them. Uh, I, I do think, though, Keller Chris comes in, and that is, that is a realistic candidate to win the starting job. I think that's, I think that's real. Uh, and I think this quote is, is, is certainly backs that up as well. Mm, okay. All right. Uh, all right. Let's go, to, let's go to stay in the East, head back to Georgia. Um, this quote jumped out. Quote, they took a huge leap last year. When they came on the field, you could tell that their bodies had changed from 2016 to 2017. Also, their mindset and their confidence. When they walked on the field, they just looked like a championship football team. I don't know that I've seen a team make the strides from year one to the next that Georgia did. I don't think that was a fluke by any stretch. I did not get a chance to see Georgia with my own eyes in the 2016 season, but I did last season, and they looked... They were they were standing on the same field in shirts uh, and you know jumpsuits and warmups as Alabama and they looked like Alabama. Um, that yeah. the the national championship drove that home more than anything else was you know if if I believed in my mind that it was going to take you know all these different steps like uh, Rich Rodriguez uh, told me and he's not the only one but I want to give him credit but he's the you know lose big lose small win small win big so there were four stages to building a program uh, Georgia was further far enough along under Mark Richt that Kirby Smart just needed to change a few things and I I agree it's it's just the way the team looks and Georgia looks like Alabama they they are big and mean and nasty and uh, if if that can be maintained, Georgia's not going anywhere. Yeah, and, and I I think this is a, a program that the knock, if they're, I mean, the knock is the wrong word, but the critique of of Kirby Smart is okay. You know, he comes in and, and yes, congratulations, took him to a national championship game, huge step forward. But all those guys that just dropped, got drafted in the NFL draft, those are Mark Rick's guys, and. This quote paints a different picture. It basically says, Mark Rick recruited those guys, sure, but, but something very specific and very noticeable happened when Kirby Smart got the keys over there. And I think that that is, is a, a real testament to Kirby Smart, and it's a real, I think, statement as to what they can be this year Despite all those losses, despite the turnover, if if the if the culture has really been been instilled, and if the if the personnel development and um, strength and conditioning program and all those sort of things are are that good that Kirby has has developed, then all of a sudden this this Georgia team in twenty eighteen. You know, you can you can take the top off the expectations. You know, there's there's no limit to them once again. So, uh, I I thought that was one of the more, um, you know, that that quote resonated, maybe more than any of these that that I saw in that Athlon magazine. Just because, like, look, man, other coaches are looking at us and saying, man, this team is is a different Georgia than we're used to seeing, even if the players are the same. There it, there wasn't a. Again, I can I can only speak to getting to see Georgia a lot during national championship week, and then getting to see them on the same field as Alabama. They look like Alabama. I've seen it happen more gradually and up close more as Clemson has become a team uh, that has really changed, especially along the lines of scrimmage. Just the way that team looks, yep. uh, you just you hang around. Locker room looks different. <laughs> there are bigger bodies around. And uh, and and big bodies give you good play in the trenches that helps you win championships. Uh, I I totally agree with him. Georgia looks incredible getting off the bus. All right, last one, and I saved this one for last because it it you can it sort of takes us into a conversation about two teams if we want to go there. Um, 
This is Auburn. All right, quote, Auburn surprised folks last year because they were so good on the line of scrimmage. Will Muschamp was there for one year as a defensive coordinator, but he made such an impact on the way Auburn recruited. He pushed the idea of building from the inside out, from the lines to the skill players. That's where Auburn is right now. That's why they will continue to grow under Gus. The defensive line has been the biggest growth area under Gus. They're serious about it, and they're as good as anyone in our league on the two deep, uh, assuming, uh, assuming on the two deep at that position, I guess. Uh, end quote. Total, uh, totally agree. And uh, I, I remember back to a conversation that you and I had where I I just sort of threw out to you after the season. I'm, I'm assuming the the next line of, of nasty Auburn defensive linemen are, are there and ready to go. And you immediately rolled off like four names of dudes that were just they they were about to have a breakout. It was when we were going back talking about some of the spring games. Uh yeah. Yeah, I mean that's like to the the great irony or the great joke of where Gus Malzahn is uh, at this point in his career as a head coach of the Auburn Tigers is that the defenses have been uh you know, like some some of the reasons why he's been able to have the success that he's had, and the one, number one question of frustration for a lot of fans has been the offense, uh, something that Gus is believed to be a savant at leading. Right. No, I think this is this is the year where I don't know. Maybe last year was the year, but it's going to hammer home the point this year that this team, the identity of this team, is the defensive line, and I think because of that defensive line. They, they're trying to. I'm trying to trying to phrase this without overstating it. But I mean, look, they, I think that this is a team that has a good enough defensive front to win a national championship, and that, and and I think that that is. I mean, every national championship Alabama's won, it's not been about their offense. It's been about their their dominant defense, and I think Auburn has finally got an identity. And it, you're right, it is ironic that. This that Gus Malzahn and his sort of offensive whiz kid persona is is it's time for to give way to to what the real heart and soul of this team is, which is that defensive front, and uh, and it also gives you some some real optimism about this year for Auburn in that like yeah because Gus Malzahn is an offensive guy, and because Jared Stidham's back and will be improved and better and and, and should be really good. And because look, they Auburn always runs the ball well. You figure they'll find ways to score some points, and defensively they'll be in every game they play. And so, I think this is a I think this is a quote that I agree with, and that is is really as probably as positive a quote, maybe with the exception of the Georgia one, as you'll find among any of these. Now, I think the, the other part of this that I think is worth hitting on is South Carolina. The well, yeah, the Will Muschamp, yeah, you know, insert into this, and that he's sort of lit the flame in terms of the way they evaluate and the way they prioritize that position, and that I think says a lot about the direction of things at South Carolina. I mean, they at South Carolina under Will Muschamp, they're recruiting big, you know, long limbs, big hands, thick joints dudes on the interior and I think we're at a point now where we can maybe start to see I don't know that we've necessarily seen that dramatically shift in the in the on-field product but I think we could start to see some real returns on that in 2018 just because of how long he's been there um and and I think this is a if you're if I'm a South Carolina fan I'm giddy reading that quote dude there is some there's some meat in the state of South Carolina up, yeah, yeah. The Carolinas, as as my, my old buddy Ryan Bartow would say, that's that's D line heaven. Uh, there's there's a lot of dudes that can play the defensive line in those two states. Um, yeah, I I'm curious because I you know part of me it tries not to jump too much on that with the idea that like Will Muschamp could end up. I mean, this you know he could totally change his own story. But like Will Muschamp just seems like a guy that we we've still got like fifteen more years of his career in the SEC. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I just I just don't think he's going to be out of work much. I don't I don't think that he's necessarily going to win a national championship. 
as a head coach. I think he could win a national championship as a defensive coordinator. I think he could lead 11, 12 win seasons. I just, you know, I, I think that Will Muschamp is such a, such a like football lifer and football machine that we're just like this, this is an interesting chapter of Will Muschamp's career and South Carolina fans are hoping that when he's, he's checked off when he's at his fifth or sixth SEC school as an assistant or a head coach, that his South Carolina chapter is one of the highlights of his career. I mean, is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, I mean, Will Muschamp such a, it's so funny that, that that hire was so roundly criticized. And, and yet I think even the people doing the criticism were, oftentimes maybe didn't quite believe it that it would be that that it would really be that bad like I think somehow despite the struggles at Florida it's hard to find anyone that doesn't grant that Will Muschamp is a competent coach and I and I think most people in the know that really like have insight on this sort of thing believe he's a really good coach right and and probably one of the best in the conference um I think he's definitely one of the best in the conference and so it's always, but it's always, but he's a defensive coach and he's a great evaluator and he's a great developer, but he's never, I mean, it's always been about the offense. So he's got a quarterback, he's got a new offensive coordinator, and we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, but I think that, like you said, if I'm a, a South Carolina fan, I'm giddy to read that quote with the idea that, uh, if nothing else, South Carolina is going to be a team very, very soon if Will Muschamp is able to continue where it's just a, it's an absolute brawl in the trenches. And that's, man, that, that that gives you such an advantage over like half the division and it gives you a shot to beat the best. There's no doubt. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, yeah. If you've got a, if you got a freak show defense, I don't care who you are on offense. You're always going to have a chance. I mean, the man won, what, 11 games at Florida? Got to a Sugar Bowl with like nine to six wins against teams like Georgia and things like that? Yep, but he lost to Georgia Southern and his offensive line were blocking each other. And that just wasn't – it wasn't going to cut it at the (laughs) school. (laughs) (laughs) But when it comes down to it, Will Muschamp will never get past – the two offensive linemen that were blocking each other. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. Yeah, poor defensive coach gets just gets labeled as that forever. But nah, he'll 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 make people forget. I'm I, I'm I'm confident that, that that day will come. Uh yeah. I I like Will Muschamp. Maybe maybe I need to re uh reconfigure Will Muschamp in my uh rankings. I think I had him probably in the 30s. I think I'm 31. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know why I remember that. But he's, I think I had him 31. He's a value added coach. I might have had him. I might have had him. I might have higher than that. I, whatever the whatever the average was, I'm pretty confident I had him higher than the consensus. Um, that's all good stuff. Any any more notable ones from uh, the mag before we get out of here? Thank you to Athlon for digging that stuff up. Those are always yeah. fun fun things to talk about. Yeah. In the in the heat of. Uh, of, of college football off season. It's good to get some talking points there. We'll, uh, I got a feeling that things are going to start picking up with us here in the, in the next few weeks in terms of, of stuff to talk about. And, and we get to like, we're close chip. We're really close to where we can actually start previewing. I don't want to jump the gun on that, but we're going to be able to start previewing soon. Like looking at over unders, making some picks, um, when Phil Steele magazine comes out, uh, then I'll be able to sort of binge for a, a couple days and I'll be ready. I get I get my really good uh, binge in before media days. Yeah. Because otherwise I just show up looking like a dum-dum who's only there for the food and like <laughs> to smile at people and talk to my friends. Like, <laughs> like if I if I don't take some like – if I don't take – a couple of days where there's an afternoon of concerted effort to to dig back into things so it's all on recall the media days will come and go and you have asked no significant questions (laughs) and coaches want it that way that's the trick that a lot of people don't know coaches would love it if 
Uh, the media is totally unprepared and they can get in and out of there, you know, and just start just, getting to work without having to deal with anything. Just throw a few generalities out there and, and uh, talk about competing and head on home. Well, yeah, that's, that's uh, that'd be a dream. That's I, I mean, coaches, the, the one filibuster tactic that I love is to just go through the depth chart. Right. Coach right. Bobby Petrino gets up there. And just goes position by position, addressing it. And then all of a sudden, by the time he says any questions, there's only three minutes left to ask questions. Savvy. It's, it's, a, veteran sa- move. it's a veteran move. Uh, he is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Make sure that you subscribe, review, and rate. Uh, again, we will be coming back with a couple more episodes in the coming weeks. And then uh, I think after the 4th of July, our preseason uh, content package will probably begin in earnest. So make sure that you're getting on board now. Make sure that we're part of your rhythm and uh, let us know what you like about the show. As always, Barton, thank you very much. You deserve.